the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through the Gospel of John. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Okay, we have to get out of our minds the thought that the Holy Spirit is an it. I hear sometimes people referring to the Holy Spirit as, you know, I have it. It? This is a real being. This is not a visible part of the Trinity as Jesus was, but nevertheless, the Holy Spirit is a being, not a thing, not some kind of a, you know, mystical, mysterious mist. How do you think of the third part of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit? As you listen to today's message from Pastor Gary, he teaches you that the Holy Spirit is not some mystical mist. The Holy Spirit is a real being. God is three in one. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Even though he's not visible like Jesus, he's still very much God and real. Pastor Gary explains that the Holy Spirit helps you to know and come to Jesus. He comforts, empowers, and instructs you to walk in the ways of Jesus. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of John chapter 14 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Three things in the, in the New Testament about which Paul said, don't be ignorant. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, he says, don't be ignorant of spiritual gifts. In Romans chapter 11, he says, don't be ignorant concerning the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he says, don't be ignorant about end times and the rapture. What are the three things that the church is most ignorant about still today? In my opinion, the Holy Spirit and spiritual gifts, Israel and the Jews, and the end times and the rapture. So Paul directs us to understand we shouldn't be ignorant about these things, but unfortunately, I think many times and in many cases, Satan has taken those three major doctrines in regards to the Holy Spirit, Israel and the Jews, and the end times, and caused confusion and sown seeds of discord within the body of Christ. Now there's so much confusion about it and ignorance about things related to the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit that it is important for us to just kind of slow this way down and take what Jesus says here and look at the subject of the Holy Spirit, kind of, kind of drilling down a little bit more than just, you know, breezing through this. Um, you know, there's been many times over, over the last now 24 years that I've, I've been here at Cornerstone that we've talked about the Holy Spirit. Why? Because when we go straight through the Bible from cover to cover, you're going to end up talking about the Holy Spirit at various points and at various times. So for some of you, maybe this is 
repetition, but uh, it's always good to be refreshed and to be reminded. And for those of you who, who don't really you know, understand too much about the Holy Spirit, I pray that tonight will be beneficial to you. You know, the significance of the Holy Spirit, we could take all night to talk about the importance of the subject matter. All of us may go through periods in our Christian experience of being kind of dry and, you know, feeling like there's not much joy or energy in our walk with Christ. Uh, you need the Holy Spirit. There are other times you might feel like, I, I don't really, I'm not, I don't really feel like I'm empowered to witness. I'm kind of shy about witnessing or maybe even unfortunately embarrassed about witnessing in my faith. You need the Holy Spirit. Maybe you would identify when you look at the list in Ephesians about the, or Galatians about the fruit of the Spirit, and you'd say, I think I'm a little lacking when you look at love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. As I rattled off that list, those are the, those are the fruit of the Spirit. If you look at, if you hear that, you say, yeah, I'm kind of, I'm lacking a little bit on patience, I'm lacking a little bit of self-control, I could use a bit more love, then you need the Holy Spirit. I mean, God's Spirit is given to us to empower us, not just for service, but for holy living and effective living. Some of you are here tonight and you are tired of trying to live the Christian faith in your own strength, and you should be tired of doing that because we were not intended to live our Christian experience in our own strength. We were intended to live it according to the strength and grace and power of God's Spirit that is within us. But what does all that mean? And how do you really experience the fullness of the Spirit? And is there a difference between the fullness of the Spirit and the indwelling of the Spirit? Well, we're going to talk about some of these things tonight as we look here together at John 14, starting at verse 15. These are the words of Jesus. Now, the context of what he's about to say here is on the heels of the previous verses. Context is always important. So let me just remind you that the first part of chapter 14, Jesus is, is saying to his own disciples, this is the upper room discourse, all of chapter, almost all of chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17 are in red. If you have a red letter edition of the Bible, because those are the words of Jesus. Jesus is speaking here in the upper room. This is just prior to his betrayal and his crucifixion. These are kind of his parting words to his disciples. First part of chapter 14, this is when he says, you know, trust in God, trust also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you might be also. He says to his own disciples, I'm going to go away. Now, we have the advantage of knowing the rest of the story. We know what he's talking about. He's talking about he's going to go to the cross. He's going to be crucified. He's going to be buried. He's going to rise again. And then 40 days later, he's going to ascend into heaven, and he's going to go back to where he came from. And so he's letting them know in advance of all that, listen, I'm going to go away. My father's house are many mansions, but I'll come again and I'll receive you unto myself. He's going to say here in a moment, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to abandon you. But his disciples, no doubt, are perplexed by some of this. Like, what do you mean you're going away? Thomas even says to Jesus earlier in the passage there, he says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus then says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Philip then pipes up and says, why don't you just show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. Jesus says, Philip, have I been with you this long, and you still do not know me? Because if you've seen the Father, if, see, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. 
So they're perplexed and they're wondering, where are you going and what does all this mean? And you're the way to the Father. How do we get there? Why don't you just show us? And so on all of that, on the heels of all of that, Jesus then says here, verse 15, if you love me, you will obey what I command and I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor, circle that word, another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, He is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. So here we have this section that Jesus then begins here by saying, if you love me, you'll be what I command. Okay, no lip service. You want to be a Christian, you're going to have to show it by the way that you live, because behavior and belief go hand in hand. Jesus says, if you really love me, you're going to do what I say. Does that mean we always do what he says? No, we're frail. We're human. Sometimes we will sin. Sometimes we will fail him. And thankfully, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, who intercedes for us. And we can ask for forgiveness. You know, a repentant, contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise, is what David said. Not a perfect heart. God knows we're not perfect. He still knows we're frail. We're made from clay, the dust of the earth. And there are going to be times that we fail him and sin against him. But overall, as a Christian... Obeying Jesus is evidence that we love him. And, and in a, on a path of constant disobedience, how can we claim that we love him? So Jesus, if you love me, you're going to obey my commands. And then he says here in verse 16, and I will ask the Father, let's go back and look at this passage now, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. All right, I got a lot of slides tonight, so you can try to keep up if you like to take notes. Here's the first thing here, John 14, 16, Jesus introduces us to the Holy Spirit, and in parenthesis, the the term that is used here in the NIV is counselor. Now, how do we know that counselor is really referring to the Holy Spirit? Well, he he adds there, it's hyphenated uh, between verse 16 and 17, uh, the spirit of truth. But also, if you look further ahead, uh, in John 14, 26, it says, but the counselor, comma, the Holy Spirit, comma, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So the Holy Spirit is the counselor, the counselor is the Holy Spirit. Now, depending on what translation of the Bible you have, uh, the, the word counselor is used here in the NIV, the New International Version. If you have a King James Bible, it says comforter. If you have a New King James Version, it says helper. And if you have the Message Bible, it says bro. <laughs> That's a really laid back version, isn't it? No, I'm just totally kidding with you. It does not say that. I actually looked it up. It says friend, but we're going to get that off. I don't advise the Message Bible. It's a terrible paraphrase. But anyway, that term, whatever you have, if you have counselor, comforter, or helper, found four times in the Gospels, and actually in the entire New Testament, and all four times are here in John. 
John 14, 16, John 14, 26, John 15, 26, John 16, 7. So let's break the word down. The Greek word for counselor is parakletos. Parakletos is a combination of two Greek words, para, meaning near or beside or with, and kaleo, the verb meaning to call. So in other words, the Holy Spirit is one who is called alongside of us. Very important role that he plays, which leads us into then, if I'm going too fast for you, you can always go back, helps us understand who is the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you five things to help you understand who is actually the Holy Spirit. Not what, who is the Holy Spirit. First thing is, the Holy Spirit is our parakletos. In other words, he is the one called alongside us to counsel us, comfort us, and help us. He is the counselor. He is the comforter. He is our helper. He is the one who sustains us, guides us, teaches us the things that Jesus said. And number two, this is also a very important point. The Holy Spirit is a being, not a thing, as indicated by personal pronouns right here in the text. Look again at verses 16 and 17, and I highlighted and underlined the pronouns. Jesus said, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him. Because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Okay? We have to get out of our minds the thought that the Holy Spirit is an it. I hear sometimes people referring to the Holy Spirit as, you know, I have it. It? This is a real being. This is not a visible part of the Trinity as Jesus was, but nevertheless, the Holy Spirit is a being, not a thing, not some kind of a you know, mystical, mysterious mist, not some kind of energy force, not some kind of you know, Jedi power, okay? This is the third part of the Trinity. I'm getting ahead of myself. Number, number three, before I get too far ahead of myself, the Holy Spirit is portrayed in Scripture as having all the attributes of personality. So this is why it's important to understand that though we're talking about the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God is more than just an energy force. Because when you see how He demonstrates various attributes of personality, you recognize that He is that third part of, that tr- of the Trinity and has attributes of personality. For example, we see in Scripture, the Holy Spirit has a mind The Holy Spirit knows God's thoughts. 1 Corinthians 2.11 For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So the Spirit has a mind. Number two, the Spirit has a will. The Holy Spirit distributes spiritual gifts as He wills, is what 1 Corinthians 12.11 says. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He gives them to each one just as He determines. King James Version says, just as He wills. So He has a will. He has mind, a mind, will, and thirdly, He has emotion. In Ephesians 4, verse 30, Paul says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So it is possible for the Holy Spirit to be grieved. He experiences emotion. And when you put all that together, it is clear 
that the Spirit of God is more than just an energy force, that He is, in fact, one who has all the attributes of personality, a mind, a will, and emotion. Number four, who is the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit is the third part of the Godhead, or the Trinity. We have God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. These are not three different gods. This is one God who reveals himself in three persons or three personalities. And so we need to recognize him as such. In fact, verse 16, right where we are, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor. The word another there in the Greek is alos versus heteros. And alos means um, another of the same kind. And so Jesus says, I'm going to give you another of the same kind as I am. So the Holy Spirit is part of that that triunity, the trinity, one God who reveals himself in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They are co-equal and coexisting from the beginning of time. No distinction in terms of equality. Uh, and then finally, number five, and this is, this is where it becomes a bit of a hot topic, which we'll get into a little bit here tonight. The Holy Spirit indwells the believer at salvation, and Jesus Christ baptizes the believer with the fullness of the Holy Spirit, either at the time of or subsequent to salvation. Now that's a bit of a mouthful. What do, what do I mean by that? Let me break it down with you. The idea is this. John the Baptist, when he was baptizing people with water, he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is greater than I, the thongs of whom I am not even worthy to carry, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The fire part is the refining. Jesus is a refiner of our lives. But he's also the one who baptizes us with the Holy Spirit. Now the word baptizo in the Greek means to overwhelm. So even the word baptize, when we baptize by water here at Cornerstone, I take the meaning of the word very literally, so we baptize by immersion. We are overwhelmed by the water. And it's not a salvation issue, so, you know, we don't divide. You know, there are plenty of of God-fearing believers who sprinkle instead of immerse. It's not a salvation issue. It's not a big deal. But we practice immersion because we believe that's the fullness of the meaning of baptizo, to be overwhelmed. But there's another kind of baptism. Not just the baptism of water. When you get saved and you get baptized by water. And we do that periodically here. We rent out idly and then every couple of months we go and we baptize believers who want to make a profession of faith in Christ. And water baptism signifies that you align yourself with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You go under the water, you come up out of the water, you're identifying in a personal way with what Christ has done for you. Death and burial and resurrection. But there's another baptism that the Bible speaks of. And the baptism is a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Again, John the Baptist said, after me will come one, talking about Jesus, who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Let me be clear about the Holy Spirit in terms of salvation. When you get saved, that is to say, when you come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you've trusted him as your Lord and Savior. You've asked him to forgive you of your sins. You've turned to Christ. You've put your faith in him. You do receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Spirit of God cannot be separated because He is one God who reveals Himself in three ways. When you receive Christ, you receive God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But now some people have put a play on words to try to 
emphasize the other aspect of the Holy Spirit's ministry by saying, all right, so when you get saved, you get the Holy Spirit too, just like you got Christ and the Father, but did the Holy Spirit get you? Now, I know what people mean by that, um, but you know, I'd rather be more clear because sometimes that sounds like, well, has the Holy Spirit gotten you? In other words, have you really submitted and surrendered? And there, no question about our Christian life is about surrender and submission. But the work of the Holy Spirit is, is more than just dependent on my submission. The power and baptism of the Holy Spirit is what God does. It is not something we conjure up because of a greater effort of submission or surrender. This is a divine work of God's Spirit to baptize the believer with His power and His grace and His fruit and His gifts. Now, in, in talking about this then, we, we, we have to identify, and using this text right here, the threefold ministry of the Holy Spirit. And when I say threefold ministry, I say that because when Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit here, and we're going to read a little bit further in John, and we're going to see in Acts chapter 1, he uses three different prepositions to communicate the threefold ministry of the Holy Spirit. And two of them, two of those prepositions we have right here. Notice again, actually I'll, I'll throw the verses up for you again on the screen. John 14, 16, and 17. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him for He lives with you and will be in you. And those are the first two prepositions that Jesus uses to describe the ministry of the Holy Spirit. By the way, He says here, the world cannot accept Him. By that He means the culture that rejects Jesus. And Clearly, in our own culture, there's a, a great number of people who reject Jesus, just outright reject and mock Jesus and want nothing to do with Him. For those who just outright reject Him, they won't know the Holy Spirit. Now, He says to His disciples, but you, unlike a culture that doesn't believe in Jesus, but you know Him, for He lives, present tense, with you and shall be or will be future tense in you. So let me talk about the prepositions and the tense because this has everything to do with understanding the ministry of the Holy Spirit. First of all, Jesus says the, the, to, the, to his disciples, and this is applicable for us, the Holy Spirit is with you. Again, that word is para, meaning with, beside, near. Okay? When you and I come to faith in Jesus Christ, you, you come because you exercise your intellect in conjunction with faith. And the reason that you made that leap of faith to trust Christ as your Savior was because the Holy Spirit was with you, if you will, wooing you, drawing you, leading you. No one comes to faith in Jesus Christ just because you're smart enough. You come to faith in Jesus Christ because the Holy Spirit is working on you. Every single one of us. Because the Holy Spirit is working on you. And all of you can probably look at your own testimony and you can look back at a time and you can see when the Holy Spirit was working on you. When the Holy Spirit was with you, padra, just kind of, you know, wooing you, drawing you, uh, just kind of, you know, moving you 
to the place where you did then surrender your life to Jesus Christ. And so one aspect of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is he's constantly working with, around, moving us towards a relationship with Jesus Christ. The Gospel of John is an interesting take on the life of Jesus. He was absolutely a man who experienced things as a human, but he's also God. And so because of that, he's able to do things that are unthinkable to the average human. But it's clear to see through this book that Jesus is anything but average. He's the Son of God. Are you interested in knowing more about Jesus and what he's done for you? Perhaps you'd like some prayer support in what you're learning or growing in. If so, please email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? We'd like to invite you to come join us this Sunday for a time of worship, Bible study, and fellowship at Cornerstone Chapel. You can find out service times and other information when you visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll also find previous messages from Pastor Gary and even download our mobile app. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks so much for tuning in and hearing some things from the book of John that may be life-altering for you. We look forward to you joining us again for our next edition here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know